Hello, and welcome to another edition of Navigating Life with Coach Lowe. I am, as usual, very excited to have a special guest with me today. And I just welcome you, audience, because you are in for a treat, as I was. I was really surprised. <laughs> we think we know our friends, right? But then as, uh, as life journeys on, sometime a Facebook post or a conversation or something may start and you find out details about people that you love that you had no idea about. Well, that's what happened with Toya and I. Toya, she posted a post that broke me down. I was like, hey, I was just going about my day. What is this all about? But Toya is with us today and you will understand what it was all about. So it's not all grim and dim and it's not all heavy, but it is real life and she is still with us. So it is such a blessing to have my girlfriend Toya Knowles on with me. Toya is not only my friend, but we have been hairstylists that have worked shoulder to shoulder. We have both been in the industry for over 30 years. Um, we, we have lived in Chicago together. We live here now in Dallas together. So it has just been a delight to be your friend, to get to know you in different seasons of your life. Um, and for us to do some of the things that we've had the opportunity to do together. And so um, without further ado, I am going to turn the mic to Toya so that Toya can share with you who she is and what she's doing and what she's all about. So Toya, please introduce the audience to who Toya knows, the short hair guru, Chicago, Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you, girl? <laughs> hey, everyone. Now, you didn't already introduce me in a nutshell, but I am Toya Nose. I am a friend of Lolita Harris. We've been knowing each other for many, many years. I am a domestic violence survivor, a stroke survivor. I have been a hairstylist now, I think it's what, 31 years now? So 31 years. Born and raised in Chicago. I now live in the big state of Dallas, Texas. And I am literally enjoying my journey in life. I am now a vegan as well. So I'm just excited about life. I'm excited about the big picture of self-care because for me, that's where it really is. It's really loving who you are to maneuver through life, literally, in a nutshell. So that's it in a nutshell because, you know, we, we can keep talking and talking. <laughs> And I don't want to be on here for two hours and three hours, like still talking about Toya. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, you, you wear so many different hats and there are so many facets of your person. You have been many places and you have done a lot of things and you have impacted a lot of people for good. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. But first, we're going to talk about your journey and... Mm -hmm. Um, I open up and I just think about, I'm like, oh my God, she was 18 years old in love with her high school sweetheart. And at 19, you decided to marry this dude. <laughs> I was like, where they do that at? Mm -hmm. Like for real, like my girl married at 18. You gotta be kidding me. 
So you got married at 18. What was that about? 18, 19? Well, I will say this. Then, you know, it's like I'm in love. Even though technically we don't really know what love is. We just assume we do based off of a feeling that we had. But I think a lot of it had to do with just my upbringing at home, how my dad used to always be so strict on, you can't do this, you can't go here, you can't do this. So in my mind, I'm in love. If I move out, I can do whatever the heck I want to (laughs) do. And that's reality, because that's really where it was. Not not to say that I didn't think I was in love, because in my mind at that age, I thought I was in love at from what I thought was really love, I should say. Um, But most of it was just, it was two things. I felt like I was in love and just so that I can get out of the house, live on my own and do what I want to do in in reality. That's so interesting. Because I was in a household and I know that my dad loved me in his own way, but it was so strict that I was like, I need to figure out something. And so when I when I was dating my high school sweetheart, he proposed to me. It's not like I knew he was gonna do it or any of that. He came up to my, um, to, to the, um, I was at Pivot Point. He came up there with flowers and everything and was like, let's get married. And I was <laughs> like, okay. And we went to City Hall. <laughs> We got married, and that's it. That's all. Wow. (laughs) So wait, so how long? So he proposed that day. How long did it take for you guys to get to City Hall? We went to City Hall that day. I had on my uniform, flowers. His aunt took us. His aunt took us, and I had on everything. Now, we we didn't do our... um, what do you call it? Like reception or anything until later because where his grandmother was living on the North side and she had a big party room. So we just used the party room, had our family and friends over and we had a reception and we was married. And I was, I was actually 19 and he was 18. Wow. This is, this is so interesting. I'm thinking like, my daughter, my baby, she 21 years old. And I'm like, girl, you better not ever, ever, ever. <laughs> not, not in this space. I don't care what you think or none of that. You are not getting married to nobody. You don't even know who you are at 19 years old. You don't. You know, you don't. that's what I'm like, okay, well, what, what uh, inspired this marriage? So, okay, so you're you're married you're 19 years old and then just a short time into your marriage um you became pregnant and decided to abort the baby but at the same time domestic violence was introduced to your relationship mm-hmm. take us to that place on your journey well the domestic violence kicked in. If I have to look at it now for that time in my space, I realize now that it was more so his insecurities, his jealousness, and then he was also cheating. So when he would get caught up is when he reacted in violence. Okay. And at that time, 
I didn't realize, well, at that time, I didn't know how not to say, oh, I got the information I need. I'm going to be quiet and just maneuver and do it. At mm. that time, because I'm young, I'm hot-headed, and I'm like, so you cheating on me with such and such? Oh, what's really going on? And so that's when the way I behaved triggered him to behave a certain type of way. And he was insecure and all of that, because we was literally growing up together. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't know what we was doing. We just thought we was in love. And, and if you talk to him today, he probably would still be like, we was in love, regardless of the fact that he was hitting me and all of those things, because his mindset was just as off as my mindset at the time. Mm-hmm. And his upbringing was, now that I know every detail, his upbringing was so much different than mine. Like his mom was always in and out of jail, in and out of um, rehab because she was an alcoholic, drug abuser. His siblings was in and out of foster care. He was the only one that wasn't in and out of foster care because his uncle raised him and his auntie. So he lived in two different households, but it was always just something. Nothing was never just peaceful. It was always an uproar or something. And that's just the reality. Like his upbringing was not the best, but he always got everything he wanted. But that family stability, they love each other to hate each other. It was just kind of wow. haywire. Yeah, okay. it was it was a bit much. Okay, so you are married. And so these things are happening. You're married and you find that you're pregnant and you decide to abort the baby. Why? Why did you decide to not keep your child? Because I felt like at the time, because the domestic violence was just introduced and it was more frequently, I felt like if I ever had to leave, it would have been worse. Like trying to leave and take a child that's his child. Because I already was like, he crazy. In my head, I'm like, he nuts. So if I, I felt like if I had the child, I would be like, Mm-mm, it's going to be too hard for me to escape because I got to think about myself in the child. Yeah. And it was a, it was a, it was a struggle to do it because I was like, you know, I'm a, I'm technically an adult. I need to be responsible for my decision. And I talked with my best friend about it and, and we both was, well, Toya, you know, you shouldn't. And then she was like, but I get it because she was there with me every step of the way. She saw every single thing that was going on and she went with me. We, I made the decision. We went and, you know, I had to live with that. I had to live with the choice that I made, but I'm not going to say I regret it because at that moment, that's what I felt was needed. I just prayed that, you know, I know God is forgiving. So I knew he would forgive me. So I just had to maneuver and just deal with the decision that I made and, and live with the choice. So how, so how does that affect you today? Because um, you mentioned in your post that your son, because it was a boy, no, that, that was another part. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll save that for later. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I'm like, okay, no, this is not that. So, okay. So I, I'm, um, it's, it's, it's bittersweet because mm-hmm. I understand that you had to do what you needed to do to save your own life, but then you decided to still stay. So this guy, he, he was doing all of these things. You mentioned several things. He punished you for 
um, not getting on his scooter, he did a really malicious act and it was like he almost tricked you to coming to him so that he can harm you. Then he hits you in the presence of one of his friends. He punched you in his stomach because he told you he didn't want a surprise party and his family wanted to give him a surprise. And when they say surprise, he turns to you and harm you in the presence of everyone that is there. Then the ultimate, he pulls a gun on you. What, what, how could you, how could you manage that? That was a lot. And that was a lot of build. Help us to wrap our minds around what was going on with you at that time. Well, um, for me, I will say, you know, I'm always that person and you know, I, I'm always giving that person a chance. You know, I always believe that people can change, but in the in the hindsight of things, they only change when they're really ready. Right. <laughs> Not when I think they should change or hope they're going to change when I'll need them to change. Um, a lot of it in between that, we did kind of go back and forth with not staying in the same household, staying in the same household. So everything wasn't always just right there. I just was believing that he would change because of the things he would say, how he would act, you know, the tears. And I'm so sorry. I don't know what came over me. I won't do it again. And he will get his act together for so long, but one little thing could trigger him. And it can be somebody a guy looking at me and he think it's my fault because you had this outfit on there and they looking at you and then I was it wasn't like I was really wearing super sexy clothes because I was still like a tomboyish kind I was wearing gym shoes and cute jogging suits and stuff but if somebody approached me and would be like oh you look really cute and I could even say oh I'm with my husband he would still be mad so it's like it's his insecurities now that I understand that. But then I'm like, what is wrong with him? I'm standing right here with you and you still acting a fool. Mm -hmm. And I'm showing you that I'm with you because I've never been the cheating type because my mom and dad was always together. So I always made sure that I can, I literally was mimicking what I saw going up to be honest. But in my mind, I just wanted to believe that he was going to be different because you know, my first boyfriend and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so in love. And he loves me with the love that we thought was love in, in, in reality, it, it really wasn't love. We just was liking each other. I don't know what that was to be honest. But the crazy thing is because I believe in people and I always give them the benefit of the doubt, I understand now when I need to be somebody friend from a distance, and when I can be their friend close up and I can still love you the whole nine yards. Once I learned to forgive the things on my actions, mm -hmm. it was easier for me to forgive somebody else because I'm, I'm still friends with him to this day. So despite all of the stuff that happened, he'd text me every now and then and just be like, I just want to say hi, love you. And then that'd be it. It's, it's crazy. People be like, what in the world? But I read something and I was reading, I don't know what book I was reading, but it said, God forgives everybody. And I'm like, if he can forgive all the mistakes I've made, I can surely forgive all the mistakes he made. 
So that's how I'm able to forgive a lot of people because I know God forgives people. So who am I to be like, oh, I ain't never talking to you again. Don't you text me. If you text me, I'm gonna be like, go, go kill yourself. I would never do stuff like that because genuinely that's not the type of person I am anyway. Right. So when, when I read that statement, that was like an aha moment for me. So I, I, I forgive everybody. So forgiveness is biblical and it is very necessary because forgiveness happens for you and not the person mm-hmm. that sinned against you. So um, that the, the, the principle is biblical. It is very necessary because it frees you. Um, and you get to choose to do it God's way. So that is awesome. And I applaud that. Um, but you know, when I'm thinking about, you know, now you're, you're 21 years old. So you're, you're 21, you're a couple years into your marriage. And because you are not moving fast enough from him, for him, he goes to the closet, gets a gun, pulls it to your head and pulls the trigger. Did you like pass out? I mean, like, cause that, I was just like, what in the heck? I didn't pass out, but it was like a sense of darkness. It's almost like all the light that was in the house, I didn't see it anymore. It like totally disappeared because the first thing I thought was he got a gun and he about to pull the trigger. And, and instantly I was like, my mom and dad gonna have a fit. But then it was just darkness and then the trigger did pull. And then when I realized that I was still standing and he said, I would never do nothing like that. You didn't know, you you would think I would put a, a bullet in here. And I'm sitting up here like, Negro, you pulled the trigger in pretense of me believing that it was a bullet in there. And so I just remember my dad telling me, a long time ago, if people treat you dirty and treat you dirty, you have to respond the same way. So what they didn't know was that I had, you know, certain things hidden to protect myself because I was at home by myself a lot at night. And so I had a hammer under the bed. I had a little box knife. I had this little bitty bat. So I pulled out the hammer. And when he went into the closet to pull it out, I mean, to put it up and came back out, I just said, kabang, ran upstairs. And that's when I told my family, because prior to that, I was literally hiding everything. Wow. I was hiding everything because I didn't want them to look at him in a different light. I wanted them to have the picture that they always had of him. Now, interestingly, though, it was something that my dad didn't like. He never shared it, but he always used to be like, it's something about him. And in my mind, I just was figuring, oh, he just figured we too young to even be dating or be married. So that was the gist of it for me. But it was, he saw more than what I saw. Okay. And he just never shared it because he wasn't that, my dad wasn't really that sentimental type of person. It was either you going to do it this way or that's it. I'm not going to do all this explaining, talk to you about the birds and the bees. That just wasn't him. But- <laughs> It was something that he didn't like. So now, now I understand what it was. It just never got able, he just never was able to explain it. Yeah. But it was interesting. It was, 
I literally saw my life ended at that moment. Cause when it got dark, I just was like, I'm not going to be up off this floor. My mom going to be doing a funeral and my dad going to be, it was just, it was, yeah, that wasn't good at all. It wasn't good. It's, it's, it's so much. There's so much to take in. There were so many details and, um, I, so at, at 23, so we went from 21, you had the gun situation at 23, you became pregnant again. Tell us about that season. Well, and it was with the same person, <laughs> but what I will say is, um, cause I, you know, I'm very transparent. And at the time I had never really experienced, um, any type of like drugs, like marijuana, stuff like that. And he was an avid smoker. Mm -hmm. And so every now and then I would explore with him. And that particular day, I believe I was probably high as a kite. <laughs> Literally. I, I, I smoked and it wasn't a lot that I smoked, but I did, I did smoke some marijuana and we got intimate. We wasn't even, we wasn't in a relationship like living under the same house, but I got intimate with him. And a couple of months later, I realized that I was pregnant, went to the doctor. They confirmed it, called him, told him, and he was happy, but he wasn't happy mm. because he was in a whole nother relationship. And I was like, at that point, I said, you know, I'm going to have to live with the choice. And I decided that I was going to keep the baby. And I said, we got to figure out how to co-parent and we're going to be good. I said, I'm not going to interfere with this. You have to deal with that part on your own. Um, but for my end, you won't have no problems. We're going to raise this child how we, he needs to be raised. You got your family. I got my family. The baby going to be happy. But after about, I don't want to say six months. I want to say more like four and a half, five months. I went to the doctor and she told me that I would have to be on bed rest mm -hmm. because I had fibroids really bad. And she said, the fibroids, as your hormones change, your fibroids will, will continue to grow. Mm -hmm. So we will have to put you on bed rest. And in my head, I'm like, how am I going to do that? I got to really go to work. Like, I still, I'll be off four more months. <laughs> but I was like, okay. So I had to figure that out. But what was interesting is that I went to the doctor and she said I would have to be on bed rest. It wasn't literally two weeks later that I had another appointment and I went and I went back to his grandmother's house because I was dropping her off because she went with me to my visit. I go to the bathroom and it was just like a whole bunch of, I don't even know what you call it, but it was in the toilet. Sales. Yeah. And wow. so I was just like, oh my God, what is this? So I called granny into the room and I said, granny, look. And she was like, we might have to go back to the doctor. I think you just lost your baby. And sure enough, I went back to the doctor and that's every bit of what it was. So they had to do it. I think it's called a DNC yes. to make sure everything else was out. And I shared it with him and it was like he was happy, but he wasn't happy because I think he had already gotten wrapped around his mind that he was going to have a kid and we was going to have to figure this thing out. But that was 
another hard part because I had already said in my mind that I'm gonna have a child I'm gonna take care of him and we're gonna be good and that's it that's all but God had other plans and so things worked out the way they needed to work out so that was that part of it yeah and and that is what I was speaking to earlier how how old would he have been today he would have been 20, 26, 26 or 26, 26. Yep, he would be 26 because Raina is 26. So they would have been the same age because Tracy was pregnant with Raina at the time I was pregnant with our son. Okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah that was that was a lot. And it was, it was, it's interesting that you would you know, just that your your body would naturally just release the baby because at 24, you had made the decision for a divorce. Mm-hmm. What were the building blocks to you making that decision? Because, you know, in my mind, from the gate, you had grounds for divorce in my mm-hmm. mind. But, okay, now... Um, you've had, you've miscarried your child that you guys would have shared together. And um, he was already in another relationship. So you now decided to file for divorce. What was that process like? It was, I think at that time, I was just kind of tired. And I was tired, but not tired enough to file at the time. But when all those different entities like piled up, all the women kept calling, all of this, I had initially filed for divorce prior. He never would sign the paperwork. Hmm. That was the thing. He never would sign the paperwork because in his mind, he felt like you will always be mine. Yeah. And it didn't, it took until he really started liking someone else. And he saw that I wasn't shifting with really coming back, even after the intimacy, after all of that, that I was just like, "Mm, we still not getting together. It wasn't until then that he was like, okay, now I foul because he felt like he was going to be married to this other girl, but she had a whole nother plan. (laughs) And it wasn't to be married. She just was getting what she could get because he was a well good. He was a really good provider. So when that didn't happen, he just went on ahead and signed the paperwork. But I had signed, I had filed for divorce and was having him served several times. He just was dodging it for a couple of years before he signed the papers. So when he finally signed them, it was like a sense of, you know how you feel like you just have a whole bunch of heaviness on your shoulder? It just felt like it was like, ah. Yeah. Like it was like, I'm free, literally. I, I had a party and everything. <laughs> you had a divorce party, girl. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> because it was a lot, you know, from high school, from somebody you dated all through high school that never ever touched you, until as soon as you get married, it's a whole different world. It's just nothing but chaos. It was some good stuff and it was some bad stuff. So I had to learn how to take all of the good stuff and actually really learn a lesson from all the bad stuff. Because a lot of times we don't really learn the lesson because we keep repeating it over and over and over again. But I had to learn how to 
just say, Toya, what is the lesson that you're getting from this? Mm-hmm. And are you going to keep repeating this lesson? Because it's something there that keeps drawing you back. And I mean, at the time, it's like, what is really drawing me back? Because I mean, he was my first boyfriend. I hadn't experienced nothing else. Right. So it's like, I really thought that in some crazy manner that we really was in love for some something, whatever I love was at that time. <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was, it was an interesting journey. I wouldn't even, I would go so far to even say I wouldn't even trade it. I would, I, I, I'm glad I had those experiences because it allowed me to be where I'm at today. I'm able to share my story with people that need it because some people don't even know how to get out of a situation like that. Some people think I don't want to share because I don't want nobody to think I'm crazy because I'm still here. Mm-hmm. You know, we're human. And yeah. so we're gonna, we're gonna act off of our emotions more so than anything else. And a client of mine used to tell me this and I never understood what she was saying, but she always used to say, your first reaction is not the best reaction because you always basing it off your emotions. She said, you have to sit back, go through those emotions and just take some time before you react. And I never used to get it until I experienced something and was like, Ah, ha. <laughs> I got a it. moment. Yeah, because I reacted a certain way that I knew wasn't me. Mm-hmm. But I was pissed. So my first reaction was out of my emotions. And I was like, Mm-mm, I can't do this. Yeah. I can't do this. And and that is what people for I feel like people need to be able to differentiate between your emotions and what you really should be doing. Yeah. And it's hard because we, especially women, we emotional creatures. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can allow our, um, our emotions to lead us and our emotions should never be the leaders. The truth should always lead us. Yes. And so, uh, having the opportunity to pause. Yes. Pause means a lot. When we can pause and reflect then respond yes not react yes (laughs) that is when we get the better outcomes unfortunately in our humanity that's not the way that it always go so um so the the story goes on and a few years later you find your father dead that what 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 did what did that what did that do to you I mean to find anyone deceased but to find a parent void of life what do you think that did to you first I felt like It's mm, how do I want to say this? How it is, however you want to say it. The first reaction was, it was almost kind of like, how dare you? Like what happened? But I know he was really battling with 
his own things that he had going on with his family, his upbringing. And I didn't learn that later until we all went to therapy with him. Because mm -hmm. for a long time, I didn't know he was a functioning addict. Okay. And so when we went to some of his sessions, he shared with us how long he had actually been functioning. But it started with weed. And then he laced the weed. And then from that, it was just straight raw cocaine. Okay. And it was interesting because it was really majority of my life. Wow. I, I wouldn't have never even had a clue. Really? Because my dad really, he made really good money. He was a hard worker. He had his own property. He was an electrician. Like he was very functionable for him to be doing all of that. He, <laughs> he was functioning it. really well. Yeah. But he was battling with how he was raised with his parents. I don't really want to single out anybody, but more so with his mom, because the love that he felt he was missing from her, she was given to the other siblings. Got it. And he struggled with that because he was the middle, he was the middle baby. Mm. So he struggled with pleasing her, her not accepting it, her doing things different from them, vice versa, and all of that. Um, so my first reaction when I saw it, I was just saw him there. I was one in shock, but I was like, well, maybe he just fell asleep. That was in my mind. But when I felt his body, he was so ice cold that I called the upstairs neighbor and he came down. My mom at the time was living uh, around the corner. They had separated. So then I called my mom. My aunt lived upstairs and then she came down and it was crazy because a friend had said they saw him out, I guess, getting drugs from one of the neighborhood kids or what have you. And it was an overdose. I mean, that's what they ruled it as. It was, it was literally an overdose. And what was interesting was that he came in my room because we was living in the basement at the time together. Uh -huh. He came in my room and I had a, a bad habit of washing my clothes and I would just leave them sitting in the dryer. When I needed something, I just pick out what I need and put it on, keep it going. But he was fussing at me. He was like, get these clothes out this dryer, put them up so I can do my own stuff. And that particular night he came in my room and he was just talking to me. I knew he had already been drinking. I didn't know if he had been getting high, but he had been drinking with his neighbor. They was best friends. They would always drink and shoot pool together all day on his off days. So he was like, "You, I just want to let you know that I love you. You know, you my baby girl and da, 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 da. Like he would, when he would drink, that's when he would pour his heart out. Okay. And so I was like, I know, you know, I had to learn how to understand that he really loved me despite of him just being under the influence of alcohol. Because when he wasn't, his demeanor was so, he was so much meaner when he wasn't drinking or high or what have you. And we, we probably talked, Lolita, I promise you, it probably was like 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason that night, he said, make sure you lock the door, your bedroom door. Cause I never locked my door. I always kept it open and go to sleep. But we had locks on our doors as if we needed to lock the door 
for whatever that reason was. I don't know. He had, when he built the basement, he put locks on all the doors. And he said, make sure you lock your door. So I locked the door and it was like a boat lock. So it had a key. So I locked the door and I woke up that morning. The lights were still on and I was like, that's weird. But the first thing in my head was, let me go get these clothes out these drives before he he wake up. (laughs) And when I went in there, that's when I found him. He was right there. So I don't even know how long he had been there, but he was ice sickle cold, literally. And it was Easter. It was actually Easter 1993 on Easter. And that's when, um, what is it? Call out, not call ID. Was it call? I think call ID had just became pop, popular, or either that star six nine where you call could call back. Mm-hmm. And at first, I was just kind of like in shock, but I didn't. I instantly still reacted, and I went and got the phone. Well, I went to the phone because at the time we didn't have, you know, we still had the circle thing. <laughs> so I called upstairs, and Anthony King came downstairs, and he helped me with the process. I called my mom. My aunt and everybody came down. We called that. Well, he called the ambulance. They came, got the body, and everybody came. And that was really it. It was for a minute. I was living as if he was still here. Like mm-hmm. I was always talk like he was still here. Yeah. And I didn't really, at the time, I didn't realize it. But I wasn't dealing with it. Like right. at the beginning, I didn't cry. I didn't do none of that because in my mind, it was like somewhere here. He was still really here, but he wasn't here. Yeah. It took a while for me to get to the space of dealing with it. It wasn't until a guy I dated, when we broke up, he was like, I think you have separation anxiety. And I'm sitting up here like, Negro, you got separation anxiety. I ain't got nothing going on with me. But he suggested for me to see a therapist. Mm-hmm. and so I said well what could it hurt and he was like well I'll go with you but he only came to one he never came to any of because we was really in the process of just kind of splitting up and at the time I had before my dad had passed I had two dogs they both died one got killed and one died and then certain some friendships and so in reality I did have separation anxiety I wasn't dealing with it though Mm -hmm. And she pointed it out with the homework that she would give me and things that we would talk about. I went to her for like six months, a little over six months. And that was the result. And that was really like, it was before I moved here. Okay. So that's how much long later it was. Cause that's when I had the house in Hazelcrest with the salon in the basement. Mm -hmm. So that's when I went to her for six months and I was like, I should have did this a long time ago. But because I never was taught to go and see a therapist or anything like that, I didn't think it was, you know, beneficial. Not to say that I didn't think it was good because people always think you crazy if you go. That wasn't my reality. It just never was introduced to me, Yeah, you know? And so when I went and, and it was actually fun because we had homework assignments, we talked about stuff and I knew what we talked about stayed there. Right. And we got into some deep rooted stuff that made me realize you ain't deal with your daddy past and you ain't dealt with this, you haven't dealt with that. that. And that's when the self journey really, really kicked in. The working out, the eating better, you know, understanding when I need to love a relationship enough to not be in the relationship. 
-hmm. Like all of those things started being like an aha moment. And it's to this day, it's still an everyday process. Yeah. Like people think you can learn this stuff and you good and that's it. No, you got to work on it every single day. Every day. It's and that, that was my aha moment. Even with the days you, you wake up and be like, I ain't doing nothing and you fall off. You just got to know, fall off, kick, scream, holler, cry, whatever you got to do. But the next day is a new day to start all over again. Right. That's good. That's good. I, I'm, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. You know, I was just like, as if she had not been through enough already, you know, and then um, just before you moved here at, at 41, you have a stroke. And I'm just like, you gotta be kidding me. Mm -hmm. So what what, so do you believe that before you had the stroke, had you already started seeing the therapist? Yes. Okay. So you had dealt with some things, mm -hmm. but there was still, a, there had to be some overwhelming stress on you for mm -hmm. a blood vessel to burst in your head. So bring us into that picture. At that time, I was in a relationship. We had been in a relationship for almost five years. And at, at that point in my life, I had a salon, um, seven stylists working in a salon. I had my own life, um, the relationship, and just learning how to balance all of that. Uh, it was very challenging because, you know, in a salon, when you're in a relationship, and they want to take you out and you're like, oh, I'll be done at six. And you look up and it's 7.30 or eight. And then after so many of those, then they like, I don't know if this is going to work because you always saying you're going to be off at this time. You need to learn how to schedule your clients better and you need to learn how to do this. So the conflict of interest there, um, making sure that the people at the salon is happy, realizing that you can't please everybody and all the decisions you make everybody not going to be happy with it and you have to be okay with it. And outside of that, I have fibroid tumors. So that's stress on your body. Even though you feel you're eating right, certain things cause fibroids. They say they don't really know what it is. I believe just from reading is the foods that we eat, truthfully, because we eat animals and meat and stuff like that, but they have hormones because they're getting pumped with stuff. So not only are we eating eating their hormones, then we got to deal with our stuff. It's just like all that combined, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, and if you really don't take time for self, you can't balance that stuff. And it's always going to just feel like you're moving, 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 moving. No pause, no nothing. And that's what I was doing at that time. I was just moving, 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 moving. Even though every now and then I would do, I was working out because the guy I was dating, he was a fitness junkie. So I was working out, but the relationship wasn't where it needed to be. It wasn't, I knew a couple of times I, we should have just went our own separate ways. Okay. But because we both had been through bad relationships in our mind, we kept saying, we're going to make this work okay. and we're going to support each other and we're going to be there. But then when I was home and we had separated, okay, we had broken up and he just happened to come by the house, literally. Wow. And was like, T, what y'all doing? 
I'm in the neighborhood before I go to work, I treat us to a junk meal. So we had gyros. My aunt Linda was staying with me at the time. He came by and we was eating, but I felt nauseous. We was eating the gyros and I started feeling nauseous. I was like, this better not be no spoiled food. I'm gonna go back up there and tell that on about himself. <laughs> and he started laughing, but they wasn't feeling any type of way. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna stop eating because I didn't even eat all of it. And I said, I'm gonna take a shower and I'm gonna lay down. I said, you're more than welcome to stay. Watch whatever with my aunt, just let wake me up before you leave. So when he was getting ready to leave, he mm-hmm. came in the room and it was already dark in the room, but it still felt like a lot of light. My head was, it felt like a house was on my head, literally. And I don't get headaches. So I was just like, I just take an aspirin. So he was getting ready to get me an aspirin. And my aunt was like, I think you should go to urgent care. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I'm going to take this aspirin and I'm going to lay down. Because literally, even though the lights was out, I said, it just feel like a whole bunch of light on me. I said, I just want to get under the cover, make it super, super dark. And I said, besides, I can't find my insurance card, none of that. She said, just tell me where you think it is. And she said, again, I think you need to go to urgent care. So when she said it the second time, I looked at Jerome and I said, I think I better go to urgent care because I might get a whooping up in here. (laughs) So I got my clothes on and everything. And I went to urgent care. Luckily, because I was in Timley Park, urgent care was not even five minutes from me. Okay. So I went to urgent. Well, he took me, Jerome took me to urgent care and we were just, when I got there instantly, soon as the doctor asked me a question, he was sitting down and I was sitting down and I threw up all the way where he was at. They call it projectile vomiting. vomiting. (laughs) And all of this back here on my neck, the tension that was so tight that instantly it was like, Ooh, Okay, I feel better, but my head was just like doo doo, doo doo, doo doo. And so he said, Well, let me do a CAT scan. They did a CAT scan, came back to the room. My aunt holding my hand, he holding my hand, and I'm sitting up here rocking back and forth. And the nurse comes in and I said, Okay, what's the what's the verdict? And she was like, Well, I'm gonna let the doctor come and talk to you. Girl, I started bawling. I'm like, she should have just not even came in the room. <laughs> Because why even say something? Just go back where you was at. Right. So she came, he came in the room and he said, we've already called the ambulance. They're pulling up. We're rushing you to Christ Hospital because you had a blood vessel burst. We want to make sure you're not having an aneurysm. When he said aneurysm, I still didn't associate that with a stroke, but I knew what it was because my stepdad had it and he almost died. Okay. So then I was like, calm down. I, I, I tried my best to calm down, but the tears were still coming out. But they got me to the hospital so fast that I really didn't have the setbacks that most people have a stroke have. Mm-hmm. I just had to let the blood vessel, blood vessel repair itself. So I was in intensive care for six days, but they did the aneurysm. I didn't have that. They did the test for that. I didn't have that. So I was just in intensive care and they was just watching me very closely and they had the pain medicine, the IV in my hand. So they said, anytime you feel any type of pain coming, just push it so that it can monitor that so it can heal itself and repair itself. But once I got on the floor, I was the only one, literally the only one on that entire hospital floor that didn't have to learn how to walk, talk, eat or nothing. I was able to get up, do what I needed to do to just get my strength back 
and I had a ton of people. When I got out of that um, operating area where they did the um, checking to see if I didn't have an aneurysm, when I say it's like people called the whole entire people in Chicago, because from the Desi's family, from my family to friends, friends was in my hospital room. It was like 20 people like this in that little bitty room with people outside. Mm -hmm. And what the neurologist told me, he said, whatever you had been doing before you came in here, he said, you make sure you keep doing that. And the two things that I had started doing was working out and eating better. Well, three things and drinking a whole lot of water. I stopped drinking soda, juice and all of that stuff. And he said, it's so key to have family. He said, because they help you fight and push through. He said, a lot of people in here, people not even coming to visit them. And that's why they can't move past where they are. Mm. And I was like, that's so crazy. And he was like, just keep doing what you're doing. And he said, whatever is causing you stress, release it. Now, what I was doing before that I was on birth control pill that I had never been on because I had fibroids really bad. So my cousins was Googling the type of birth control I was. And a lot of people were saying that they had strokes and stuff behind it. Oh, wow. But I also, I stopped that, but I released, when I say anything I felt was causing me stress, the relationship I had, we ended it, but we still, we was on good terms because it was mutual. I let I sold the salon and I just was like, I'm doing Toya and Toya only. And that's what I started doing. And when I let all of that go, I didn't feel like I was like, because you know, when you have a salon, you the bookkeeper, you the cleaning person, you the you 20 different hats within that, and you still gotta be a hairstylist. Mm -hmm. And don't be a mama a wife and all of that, that's a whole nother entity. I, I at least didn't have all of those things, but it's a lot. And when I let all of that go, I just felt like my shoulders was light as I don't know what. And then that's when I was so adamant about understanding what it really looks like to love yourself because it was a lot of days I would be at home crying and kicking and cause, cause you're lonely. Mm -hmm. Like you even have to understand being lonely is okay. It ain't a bad thing because we look to be around somebody or in a relationship because we just don't want to be by ourselves. but you got to learn how to be by yourself, literally. And that's where I'm at. Being okay with being with Toya. I love it. I love it. And it is very necessary. And it's so many women. Um, and I don't even think that it's women alone. I think that men also, we can almost um, anesthetize pain with the presence of other people. Yeah. And, you know, almost like a drug or alcohol or sex or whatever, you know. And so sometimes you look at people and you're like, well, you always act like you need to have a man or, you know, do you go in and out of relationships like a revolving door or whatever the case may be. And a lot of times that is because people are not looking at where they've been and how it affects the present, the present, and then ultimately their future, right? Yeah. And so um, it would behoove us to, you know, get 
some therapy sessions, some coaching sessions, some, some something to help you to think outside of your box for mm -hmm. you to think outside of the gamut of what your family taught you. Because sometimes what's really unfortunate from family and friends is that we're taught dysfunction, you, yeah. know, you know, and so, um, Sometimes doing life the wrong way is okay with people that we genuinely love and we have to check that. Mm -hmm. So um, so we have some good news though. So you have been able to maintain your health. And so tell us about the vegan journey. Tell us about all of the goodness that's coming up with the book, girl. Tell us the good stuff. <laughs> I'm super excited about it. Um, I actually went on a challenge with a client of mine that really needed to lose weight. And she was like, Toy, I want you to do this vegan journey with me for just 31 days. And she's like, and after that, I'm going back to eat meat. I was like, okay, I'll do it with you. So we were following a guy on Facebook and he did 31 days of vegan with soul. So it was all soul food, but veganized. And I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be easy. And so I truthfully couldn't even get past the first four because I was repeating them meals over and over again because they were so good. Oh. <laughs> but I'm not a person that cooks every single day either. I cook weekly because okay. I meal prep a lot. And when I started that journey with her, before I realized that people were saying to me, your skin looked different. Your energy looks amazing. Like, I like being around you because you always got a lot of energy. I want to learn how to do that. Not realizing that it was really just the foods I was eating because I wasn't getting that before when I was eating meat. Nobody ever said nothing about my energy being nothing. <laughs> so after the 31 days, wasn't in the, my mindset to really release weight, but I did lose like 14 pounds okay. with doing that journey with her. But my skin was flawless. I had so much energy after I ate. I wasn't sluggish. None of that. When I would do my workouts, even though some of them were harder, I was able to get through them without always like, I'm about to take a whole two minute break before I go to the next one. <laughs> I was able to take like 30 seconds and be ready to get back into the, to the workout. And so I was like, this is not bad. But because I was so accustomed to eating fish, chicken, you know, all the good stuff that we was eating growing up as a kid, I went back to eating meat. But it didn't even take me like two weeks. And I was only eating a little bit of meat, not even every day. But as soon as I started eating the meat, I would look in the mirror and it felt like my skin was aging to make me look older. Like I felt like I was looking older than what I was when I wasn't eating meat. Cause when I wasn't eating the meat, everybody's like, you look so young. Your skin look flawless. You don't have no wrinkles, none of that. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I started back eating meat, but it took me one day I went and got a hamburger and I ate that burger and tore that burger up. It was so daggone good. But I was tired as I don't know what after I ate that burger. I was like, and I didn't like the feeling. I was so sluggish and I had so much more to do that day. And I was like, dang, I'm tired. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't, this is the feeling I don't like right here. I don't like to feel like I can't finish my day because I want to eat some food that then weighed me all the way down. Right. And so literally that next week, 
any meat I had in my house, I gave it away and I stopped eating meat. Mm. I just went cold turkey. I didn't eat nothing. I had already stopped doing milk and cheese just because of the fibroids. Uh-huh. So that was, that wasn't the part. It was the meat part of it. That was my vice because again, I grew up on it. You know, I like meat, but it's not, I, you can't pay me to eat meat no more just because of how I feel now. Yeah. Um, I get it all the time. Even at the shop I'm at now, my friends always telling me, whatever you're doing, keep it up. Because you're when you walk in here, it's like the whole shop light up. Aww. When you're not here, we feel we feel the difference. Yeah. And and I'm like, wow. Is it it's deeper than just it's it's deep because it's like you wouldn't even know you had that effect on people just because you don't eat meat. Right. And your vibrations and your energy is so in tune at the shop. I was off for a whole week last week because my little cousin found out he tested positive for COVID and he was at the house. So we had to go get tested and stay out, stay in the house. Right. And I'm getting text messages. Hey, you on vacation? Where you at? I'm like, no, I'm at home. And they like, um, we confused because we need your energy up in here. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and the crazy part about it is I'm at the salon by myself most of the day by myself because a lot of them still work jobs. Mm-hmm. So they come in after the fact. But you couldn't, you couldn't pay me. And it, does, it, it helps too that I like cooking too. So you know I enjoy cooking. So I'm super creative when it comes to the meals. Like my salad ain't going to be no normal salad. You know, I'll figure out how to take all these recipes and probably make four or five different recipes with the same ingredients. So for me, because I enjoy cooking, it's fun to me to figure out how to make some good plant-based meals because people just think I'm eating lettuce, cucumbers, and tomatoes. I am eating those things, but I'm also eating carbs and other things, but I eat a lot of colorful foods. Mm -hmm. So the more colors you eat, the better off you become. Right. And you just got to be creative with it. I still do all the same stuff that everybody else eat. I just veganize them. If you eat chili, I'm going to make a vegan chili. If you eat quesadillas, I'm going to make vegan quesadillas. And them suckers going to still be good. I didn't got so creative. And I follow um, Tabitha Brown. That's uh-huh. my inspiration. She's an influencer. But she makes um, pecan meat out of pecans. I tried it and it was good, but I like the walnuts better. So I do walnuts and I season them and everything and put them into something. And let me tell you, people, unless I tell them, they don't know. Cause I made some chili Mm -hmm. and my mama was eating it. And she says, I thought you said you didn't eat meat. (laughs) I said, I don't lady. She said, but it's meat right here. I'm looking at it. I said, them walnuts. She was like, no, they not. Teresa was like, yes, they are. <laughs> I watched her put them in there. So I've, I've learned how to make the walnuts mimic meat mm-hmm. just from the process of the soaking process and, and putting some herbs and spices on there because you still need your protein at the end of the day. Right. And so I'm just excited. My cookbook crossing my fingers and my toes and everything (laughs) it will be coming out very shortly I had a little bit of a setback because the person that I used the format was off once they uploaded it on Amazon and Kindle half the pages disappeared and the words was all over the place so we just got it back 
from getting reformatted probably not even a week ago. And um, my coach is uploading it on Amazon and Kindle, but it takes 14 to 21 days or something before they approve it. Uh And once it's approved, then I will be launching the book, doing the book signing and all of those good things. Because I have other cookbooks in mind, but I am not touching nothing until I know this one's uploaded and sealed and dealed. (laughs) So, but I love it. I, I really like it. It's crazy because a lot of people, oh, we can't go out to eat with Toya because she just going to eat some plants. <laughs> but when I get my meal and they look at their meal and look at mine, this, they, their meal be good, but they everybody want to taste Toya food. Mm-hmm. Not, not the person that's just eating some plants. Right. But <laughs> I create my meals. If they don't have a vegan option, I'll look on there and see what I can make as one whole meal. And that's fun for me. So yeah. I wouldn't trade it. I you I, I will probably never eat meat again, to be honest. Wow. That's because I really good. like how I feel. And I have all the energy in the world. My clarity I feel is better. I don't feel like my mind is so boggled and clogged and stuff like that. I just learn to make better choices with my food and learn to just take time to sit. Like and really think about the stuff that I need to do before I move forward. And so far, it's been it's been good. It's, it's, I mean, as you know, it's an everyday process, but it's been working really, really good. And you you look amazing, and and Thank I you. agree. There is an exuberance about your uh, your person. I've known you for a really long time, and this season, if I am honest, I think it has been one of your best seasons. Thank you. Yeah. And, um, and I'm just, I'm really happy for your progress and for all of your successes. Um, Toya uh, gets on Facebook. She started posting to hold herself accountable, but in the interim, she began to inspire others. And I happen to be a recipient of her inspiration as she encouraged her world around her to move, move your body. Mm -hmm. You gotta keep moving. And so I started that process and I ended up uh, losing quite a bit of weight um, after COVID. And, um, you know, it wasn't just about losing weight for me, but Mm -hmm. it was about the feel. It was about, I liked who I reflected, who reflected, the image reflected back to me in the mirror. I could appreciate it better. Um, Back to the skin factor, um, the water intake, um, just the the vibrations of of your energy, they are a whole lot better depending on what your diet looked like. Um, I was not a vegan and I did eat chicken and fish um, but it was still, I still got really, really awesome benefits. And I owe you the big thank you of getting me started. Um, You're welcome. Friday, she was, she did a jump rope challenge, y'all. 
And I had not jumped rope like that in so long. I was crisscrossing. I was having me a good old time. And then I was like, hey, this is exercise. And I began to really enjoy it. And so I hope that uh, you guys will do likewise, that you will continue to move, that you Mm -hmm. will continue to take introspection of yourself um, and that you will make good decisions for your life because when there is pain within, when Mm -hmm. things are not going well, it can set up um, all kinds of things in your body that does not serve you well Mm -hmm. and can land you in places you never want to go, like the hospital and sometimes even death. And so we don't want to see those numbers continue to rise. We Mm -hmm. want to bring that down so that we can live our best lives in the earth um, as healthy human beings in good relationship with others and that we have that great vibration um, Mm -hmm. of energy to share with others. Toya, any final words, anything, any final things you would like to share with the audience before we get out of here? Yes, and I think I have two things I want to share. Um, the first one is whatever pain that you may be feeling or don't know how to come to terms with, figure out what that looks like for you as far as seeking some type of help to really deal with the pain. Because then my number two is it will get to get you to the place of learning how to love yourself, learning what makes you happy on the inside, first and foremost, because after you work on the inside, you're going to love the outside anyway. Right. So figuring out the pains that you need to address, don't let it go sit doormat. Don't let it do none of that because you can cause all types of ailments from strokes, heart attacks, you name it. So you want to deal with that head on. And if you need help, get help because it's okay. And then to just learning how to love yourself, learning how to be alone and figure out the things that make you tick, that make you mad or make you happy so that when you are moving forward in any other type of relationship, friendship, marriage, you name it, you already have a sense of who you are and what makes you happy. Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. Um, And on that note, you know, it's so important for us to know that our happiness stems from within. Because if you are not happy alone, you'll never be happy with someone because your happiness has to come from you first. So I, I totally agree with that. And I'm so grateful that you mentioned it because it's so important. And so um, I just want to, let's give um, Toya a hand. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being my guest. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for your transparency. Um, Just thank you for being authentically you. Um, This was a really, really great episode. And I hope that many of you, our audience will be blessed by the best, the short hair guru. Uh, (laughs) that uh, That you will gain some wisdom and some some wisdom keys from the things that she shared. She shared so much. And um, 
And I just hope that for the people that are in relationships out there that you take notice of the things that she shared along her journey and the things that she had to do to, uh, to heal from the inside out and that you can take those tools and that you can apply them to your own situation. Mm -hmm. So it has been great. It has been a great time with you all today. And like I said, I hope that something will bless your life. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. And we will see you next time here at Navigating Life with Coach Lowe. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.